Well, good morning. I'm delighted to be be here this morning. Well, I think I am anyway. And, uh, I'm looking forward to having a wee look at God's Word with you. When was the last time you felt the need to read a psalm? Well, for me, it was actually last Sunday morning when I was leading. And uh, I wanted to use a psalm to lead us into God's presence and into worship. And there are many psalms, as you know, many psalms that do that. Amazing psalms that enable us to praise God. But there are other psalms. There have been times when I have been very low, even heartbroken. And you know, a psalm like Psalm 25 has reminded me that David felt the same way. Sometimes there have been terrible tragedies. Some of the things that have happened and even in our own country that we just looked at and thought, you know, where is God in this? How can this happen? And I can remember particularly Psalm 10 speaking to me about God being in control in those types of situations. Or a particular occasion when we have felt under attack. Years ago, once when we were heading to a, to a camp, we really felt an attack from the enemy. And Psalm 91 that Norman gave us at the time was a real encouragement at that time. The Psalms are wonderful for encouraging us. And do you know what it is about them? It's the fact that the psalmist is completely honest with God. You know, he expresses anger, frustration, cries out to God, why? Why do these things happening to me, Lord? And he allows us to see that feelings are not foreign to God. God's not afraid of our fear, of our tears, of our anger, even of us shouting at him. That doesn't faze him at all. He's a wonderful God and he just wants us to know that he loves us. It allows us to be who we are in his presence, where we're at at the time. Shows us that he's still in control and that he still loves us. I often say to people when they're struggling, go to the Psalms and find God there. This morning I want to take a fresh look at an old favourite, Psalm 23. Well, the first three verses of Psalm 23, I thought, oh, Psalm 23 will be a good one. We'll get those six verses there, it's nice and short, we'll get through that in no time at all until I started into it. And really, you could actually talk about one verse at a time, but I am going to cover three in hopefully not too long a time. We're most familiar with this psalm, really, because we often find it read at funerals or uh, in times of panic or fear. In fact, George Bush read from this psalm from the Oval Office on the evening of the 9-11 attacks. And indeed, it does give great comfort in those sort of times. But I suggest to you this morning that Psalm 23 is a psalm for life and not for death. It's a psalm for every day of our lives, a psalm for the Christian walk. For the journey. Most scholars conclude that Psalm 23 was written by David when he was a young shepherd boy, probably only 16 or 17, out in the fields looking after the sheep of his father Jesse in Bethlehem. And do you know, at that stage, he knew his God. It's really amazing to think that in Israel, not with the experience that we have and the knowledge that we have of Calvary and and the closeness of our Holy Spirit, but at that time, David knew his God. It was a very personal relationship. It's a very personal psalm. He talks about his shepherd. He uses the daily experiences of his life to show what it meant to follow the shepherd of his soul. And we can learn a lot from the Christian journey from his words. So let's begin with verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. Follow the shepherd. What's not immediately obvious in this psalm? 
as we read it in Craigavon in the middle of the city in 2018, is the way the shepherd worked in those days in David's time. If you go for a drive in the morns or in the glens of Antrim, maybe more so, you come maybe on a flock of sheep on the road. And there'll be a few boys behind them and a couple of good dogs that, uh, (laughs) Katie, smile at that point, a couple of good sheep dogs keeping them in line. But that wasn't the way it worked in David's time. In those times, the sheep were led by the shepherd and they recognized his voice and followed him. It's that need to follow that's key to this whole passage. And Jesus took up the same thing when he said in John 10, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Everything that David goes on to describe in this psalm depends on him following closely after God. It's the same for us and the good shepherd. Note again that David says, my shepherd. He had a personal relationship with God. Do you know, being a Christian is actually a personal relationship with God. Out there, there's a lot of definitions of what it means to be a Christian. Even just going to church, being born in a Christian country, having Christian parents, all seem to mean being a Christian. But none of them do. None of those things do. It's the personal relationship with God that makes the difference. There was a perfect relationship once that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. But it was broken when they sinned at the fall. They broke that relationship. They chose to. They wanted to go their own way. And you know, as we know, it took the sacrifice, the death, the pain of Jesus to restore that relationship. But it doesn't just happen either. We have to recognize our part in the sin, our personal sin, and believe that Jesus died to forgive us. And then he'll make us one of those sheep that he calls by name. Being around church won't do it. Even reading the Bible and praying won't do it. You have to make that decision. I ask you this morning, have you made it? God really wants you to. But there's another question that we must ask. How closely are we following the shepherd? I found out recently that Donald Trump, man of the moment, has 53.4 Twitter followers. Now, the only thing I go on Twitter for is to see whether or not Loch Gall have won. But anyhow, uh, that number might go up or down depending on this visit. I'm sure the Queen, pretty sure the Queen won't be signing up. But Theresa May might have to. First of all, if she's going to get a good trade deal. And secondly, if she's going to know what he's going to do next. Because he seems to talk about everything on Twitter. Maybe you're not a follower of Donald Trump. Maybe there's someone else on Twitter who interests you. <laughs> might just be somebody like Nathan Carter that you follow on Twitter but well maybe not in Emily's case maybe you don't really know them personally chances are you don't know them personally at all you probably don't really know that person whether on Facebook or Twitter millions will have watched the World Cup sadly but over the last few weeks and have declared themselves followers of Gareth Southgate the man and his team You might even have bought the waistcoat. And I hear marks are sold out. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that you heard the advice in the training ground. It doesn't mean that you heard the encouragement that he spoke in the dressing room before and indeed after the match. 
the encouragement to get out there and go, the, the encouragement afterwards when things didn't go the way we wanted. You have to be close up to hear that sort of uh, conversation. And just in the same way, we have to follow closely with our Savior behind the shepherd in order to hear his voice. And when we do, we lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. Jesus told us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the other things that we need would be added onto us. And he was speaking practically. It doesn't mean there won't be times of trial. Paul said he had learned to be content in all circumstances. God does know what we need. The things that practical things in life that we need and the things that help us grow as a Christian. He works all things together for our good when we're called according to his purpose. Looking back, there are things that have happened to me that I would not have chosen, but God used them to bring me closer to him. There have been times when I've had to wait, thinking, now's the time, but it wasn't. But then finding that his timing is always perfect. Let's go back to the passage. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The shepherd provides rest and food and water. David, as a shepherd, knew what his sheep needed. He knew where to find the green pastures, even in the dry season, where the sheep could feed and lie down to rest. The quiet waters that wouldn't rush and drag them in, and their fleece would get all wet and then they'd get stuck. He knew where the best places were. He knew how to look after every aspect of their well-being. How's rest going for you? Have you had any holidays yet? Well, obviously, if you're here this morning, you're not out there on holiday. But maybe you have something planned. What sort of holiday would you go on? Many people here would prefer a beach holiday. Not me. Too hot. (laughs) It's been hot enough for me this past fortnight. What about a driving holiday? No? Well, now, that actually would appeal to me a lot. Yeah, I get the MX-5 out, find a road that I've never been on before, preferably with green grass up the middle of it, and go for it. I love to go round another bend and not know what's round the next corner. Maybe it's... uh, (laughs) Jim, I think, is thinking that I'm already round the bend, but (laughs) I knew that. Um, maybe it's an adventure holiday that you like you don't want to lie on a beach you don't want to sit still but whatever it is a holiday is good we do need a break from the routine we need a rest we all need physical rest and proper food God knows we do too much work seven days a week without proper times of rest can lead to burnout even in the Christian experience even in Christian service that can happen With the best will in the world, for all the right reasons, you can just work too much. God's commandment to rest on the seventh day, and that's whatever day of the week you're able to make it, is not a rule to follow. It's a recipe for good health and well-being. With all the commandments, it's the best way to live. Do you actually feel guilty to take time out? Do you get enough sleep? When was the last time you recharged your batteries? Food, water, and rest are essential, and God knows that we need them. Look what happened to Elijah. Elijah was on Mount Carmel, defeating, uh, challenging the prophets of Baal, and he won. And everything was wonderful, and then Jezebel threatened his life, said she was going to kill him. And even though he'd had a wonderful experience of God, 
in an amazing way, off he ran. Skirts, silly, and then lay down under a tree and wanted to die. Well, what did God do? Get up and get on with it. Come on, I'm with you. No. He let him rest. He let him sleep. He sent an angel and gave him food and water. And he let him sleep some more. Sent an angel again with more food and water. And then he was able to get up and go on. Don't get burnt out, folks, even in doing stuff for the Lord. Neglecting your physical well-being doesn't bring any glory to God. We could say that that's all that David meant by these words, but I think there's a deeper spiritual meaning to what David's saying here. The rest, food and water, the lying down in green pastures, the being led by quiet waters can also refer to our souls. In fact, it's these verses that show us how the shepherd uses these things to restore our souls. God gives us rest initially by saving us, by giving us peace with him. Knowing our sins forgiven enables us to find rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest, as Jim said earlier. You know, that rest comes with our salvation. And I was 12 years old um, in bed one night after a, a time of conviction and thinking, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. And that's the honest truth. I went to Brethren Sunday School. And... Uh, <laughs> At that stage, and they certainly let you know what the choice was, but at that point I was feeling really under conviction, and I can still remember it. And I didn't know a whole lot of what to pray or what to say, and there was was nobody there um, beside me, but I remember praying to God to save me, and he did. And how did I know? I felt peace, not blinding lights or anything else, just a real peace and assurance that he'd done it that things were okay now. And every night I put my head on my pillow, 44 years later, and don't work it out now, um, (laughs) then I still have that rest and assurance because his salvation is true and real. He gives me an underlying peace. Now, it's not that there's some nights, and there was one this week preparing this, (laughs) that I don't toss and turn and think about, you know, worry about things and and so on. But... There is an underlying peace, a resting on, a leaning on the everlasting arms that never goes away. I hope you have that peace when you put your head on your pillow, when there's just you and God, because he wants you to have. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. And it's when we have the security of salvation that the restoration process begins. He restores our souls. What do we mean by restoration? Well, it's really bringing something back to the original state, to what it was like to begin with. And, you know, it's not not like pushing the return to factory settings button button on your phone. But it's more like buying an old house. Somewhere that has to be restored to its original design and splendor. But you know, that takes time. Anyone who's done that will know it takes time. A lot of time. A lot of stuff will have to be repaired. Some stuff might even have to be rebuilt. And some stuff ripped out altogether. 
to reflect the original design. You've all, all seen the, uh, the programs where they restore a house and there's a lovely wooden floor and they rip it out and underneath are the original tiled floor. That just looks even better. When God starts or saves us, he starts that restoration process in our souls. Sometimes we call it sanctification, but we'll, we'll stay away from the big words. Do you know, it takes a lifetime. Jesus, he was the new Adam, the perfect man. And God wants to restore us to be like him, the way he originally intended us to be. He wants to make us like Jesus. But to do that, there's repairing to be done. There's healing of past grievances and hurts. There may be people to forgive. Sometimes the wounds are deep and the healing takes time. Healing often takes time. This time last year, favourite nephew, and by the way, I only have one nephew, but (laughs) his favourite nephew, he was in plaster from a knee ligament injury that he got playing football for a while. Not at the time, but anyhow. It took at least six months to heal, and now he's back playing for alcohol, so look out. Sometimes, when it, even though it took that long time, I was speaking to him the other day when he was helping me in the garden, and he said that the injured knee felt even better, even stronger than the other one now. Sometimes it does take a long time for healing to happen. Sometimes forgiveness and healing Take, that, take a long while because there's a lot of pain, many tears, before we feel that we can give up the hurt and let God deal with the situation. We want to hold on, and that's natural. We can be hurt. We can be wounded deeply. Perhaps you are this morning. And it's very hard to give it over. It seems unfair and unjust to hand over that hurt. But it's the only way that God can step in and heal us. But he he wants us to come back to him again and again until we find that healing. He never tires of us leaning on him. He never tires, like the Psalms, of us crying out to him. He never tires of us saying why. But he does want to heal us. He wants us to hand it over to him. And he gives us the strength we need. In the restoration of our souls, sometimes things need to be ripped out altogether. It could be wrong attitudes, bad habits, addictions. And these too take time, particularly if the problem's long-standing, like dump or dry rot in a house. And you know, God's very gracious to us. He doesn't deal with everything at once. We'd never cope with that. But he will gently remind us of those things that don't bring him honour. He'll bring them to the surface, and he'll give us the grace to let go of them and to forgive them. And he, but he'll not force us to change. Do you know, there's even some good things that he wants us to give up to bring an even better thing, gift or talent, to the surface. I was involved in worship in our previous church and indeed in a, in a house group for a long time, and even at the, at the beginning of Hope. But I realized after a while that God wanted me to focus my energies on something else. I loved worship. I really didn't want to let go. I really loved being involved in worship. But even though it was hard, I knew that the calling to preach and teach God's word was stronger. And the way opened up for me to do that lay readership course. And to let go of the worship. God always knows what's best for us. And things change as we grow in him. Just because you always did something 
doesn't mean you should always do it. You might be missing out on the wonderful, challenging things that he has for you around the corner. So be willing to let go and let God lead you into something new, if that's what he's calling you to do. I've talked about the rests. What about the food and water, the green pastures and quiet waters? How do they restore our souls? Well, they go together for a start, just like water, food and water go together. In fact, water aids our digestion. I checked that out. We need water and we need food. In order to have our souls restored, we need to meditate on God's word, obviously our spiritual food, but also allow the Holy Spirit, the living water, to apply it to our lives. It's how we find out how he wants us to live. But we need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and change us. For our souls to be restored, we have to daily submit our mind, will, intellect, attitudes and emotions, all of us, our soul, to the leading of his spirit, guided by the word. Do you know, reading the Bible, praying and listening are essential to the daily walk of the Christian, not an added extra. What you hear here on a church on a Sunday morning or in a Bible study or whatever isn't enough. There is a daily walk needed, a drawing close to the shepherd. But you know, I don't know about you, but somehow that's not as easy as it sounds. They're great words, they're great advice, but that's hard to do. I don't know, but I, do you find that your best intentions to read and pray are just pulled down by everyday distractions? The phone rings. You suddenly remember some TV program that you really wanted to watch. Whatever. We may even plan to get up a bit earlier, set the alarm for a bit earlier, and then just turn over for another couple of minutes. And suddenly it's half an hour, and then we're even late for work. We don't seem to be able to sustain doing what we know we need to do. I know I was able to set my alarm for um, to be early enough to be here during the week of prayer and fasting for 7.15 every morning. I could do that for the whole week, and I actually recognized what a blessing it was to me uh, to be able to do that and to spend time. But I have to say, I haven't really done it since. It's difficult to actually get up that bit earlier or to take that bit of time. You've, you know, you've busy lives, family and so on. It's hard to take the time. And the devil has a great hand in, in causing those distractions as well. But we, do, we are blessed when we do it. And we do need to form good habits. And I, I speak to myself here too. They tell me a good habit can be maintained if you sustain it for long enough, three weeks or so. And really, we have to make a decision to try harder and ask for God's help to do that and for his strength to do it. Because we need to hear from him and we need to be close to him. Sometimes it's because you think, oh, I don't understand the Bible anyway. It's too hard for me. Again, Bible, God's word and his spirit work together. It's him that helps you to understand it. His Holy Spirit is your teacher. He helps us to apply it to our lives as well. It's God who leads us in the paths of righteousness. But sometimes even when you do read the Bible, it's hard to know the right path. It's not every decision that we make on a daily basis is in there. We can usually tell what not to do. You know, you can usually tell that you're not supposed to harm other people or, or lie or steal. But it's much more difficult when the decision's between a couple of good things. Like which job to go for out of a, a choice of jobs. 
like which guy to say yes to if there are a couple who are interested in you, even if they're both good Christians. Or, indeed, it might be whether to build a house, buy a house, or stay on the one you're in. I was faced with that one. Again, we need to follow closely and listen to the voice of the shepherd and his word. Because when we do, he, the spirit and the word, teams up together and he helps us to know what God's will is, as it says in Romans 2. He gradually shapes our thinking and molds our emotions. And then we can weigh up any decision based on his love and his wisdom from the word. He'll lead us in paths of righteousness. Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As we walk closely, he enables those desires, our desires, to become his desires. Now, that can be a wee bit scary sometimes, but his desires are good. They're not like the medicine that says, oh, take that, it's bitter, but it's for your own good. But it's more like he wants to abundantly bless us and he wants to use us. He has the desires of your heart in mind and he wants you to know the desires of his. And how much amazing it is to actually be used by God and know the desires of his heart. Finally, David's words give us a purpose. About five years ago, I made a decision that I would build the house. Restoring an old one would have been a step too far for me. So I went to see Glyn, you all know Glyn, and the process began. I spent a lot of time in that house when it was being built. I knew every corner, nearly every brick. (laughs) I had the furniture all placed before, long before I was ever in it. But About two and a half years ago, just before Christmas, I actually moved in, which was great. But from that point on, I wasn't watching a house being built. I was living in it, using it for the purpose it was designed for. A house is for living in. It's for sleeping in. It's for doing life in. It gives us protection by ourselves, with family or friends. It has a purpose. God is not just restoring our souls, producing the fruit of the Spirit in us, and getting, to get us ready for heaven. He has a purpose here for us on earth. He wants us to be used by him. He wants to lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's for his glory. Everything we do, every aspect of our lives, for his glory. Specific ways in which you are called to serve God are also for his glory and not for ours. That's what's different about Christian service. There are lots of people in the world helping others, and much human activity that seeks to help others around the world, but it's, it's human-centered. It's not focused on God. It's man's effort, and man takes the glory. There's lots of amazing stuff. That rescue in Thailand was one example. The doctors that gave up their, their time, risked their lives, the guy who even gave up his life. I don't know if those people are Christians, maybe some of them are, and I'm sure there was a lot of prayer answered, but the media will make it for man's glory when we want things to be for God's glory. As followers of Christ, we need to be doing what God wants us to do and not jumping at every opportunity to do good or supporting every good cause. Not every good thing is a God thing. It is God who does the leading 
And as we become more conscious of his leading in our lives and do those things that have his anointing and his blessing, we will be used by him for his glory. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are, I love this verse, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. I'll read that again. It's an amazing verse. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus through what he has done for us to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But you know, those good works aren't the same for everybody. We all follow the same shepherd, but each sheep has its own set of footprints. You follow where God leads you. Don't try to do everything. Support everything. You don't have to be involved in every ministry of the church. But you do need to be where God wants you to be. And you know it's all right to say no. We've all had the experience of someone who's really enthusiastic and trying to get you into something. And you're thinking, I really couldn't do that. I really don't feel that I want to do that. And then you feel guilty. And you think, oh, but maybe God does want me to do it. And all the time you're thinking, that really is not me. And the person's putting pressure on and guilt tripped. And you end up a square peg in a round hole. Find out what God wants you to do. Just because it's someone else's passion, it doesn't have to be yours. There are lots of areas of service. And each one of, each area where we are fitting is where God has the best purposes and blessing for us. It is okay to say no. But you know what? When we do step out, when we do follow God, follow closely by the shepherd, with the belief that he has a purpose for us, not just to get us home, with the belief that he has a purpose for our lives, do you know there is eternal significance to what we do? That never ceases to amaze me. Every opportunity that he gives us to show love to others in our daily lives, in our jobs, in life, has a divine appointment about it. God behind it and his name. We go in Jesus' name and for his glory. Do you get up each day and go in Jesus' name, expecting him to use you even in small ways that seem small to you, but are maybe life-changing for somebody else? Don't think you have to do what's described as the big things, like preaching or whatever. Those things are not the important things. Those things that where God uses you to touch the lives of other people, people around you, that's where God, where the eternal significance is. You can be doing something that will mean that somebody will go to heaven. Something that will affect you will be praying for somebody that will mean healing will be sent from heaven. There's an eternal significance when we follow closely and are doing what he wants us to do. It's totally amazing to be used by God for his eternal purposes. It's what Jesus was saying to his first disciples when he called them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's saying the same thing to us this morning. We have an eternal purpose to extend God's kingdom. Are you ready to follow him closely, wherever he leads? I'll finish with the last little part of my story at the moment. A few months ago, I made a big decision. (laughs) And uh, that big decision was to retire from school teaching after 35 years. 
Now it's early. I keep going back to this age thing, so we bit, <laughs> a bit funny, but it is early, slightly early, and I had that decision to make. It could easily have worked on for another three years or so. And uh, but I was really feeling the time had come to give that aspect of my life up, and it had been a really big part of my life for that time, and I'd loved doing it. But I was feeling the tug to do other things. And so I prayed about it, and particularly during that week of prayer and fasting in January, and come to the decision that it was the right, the right thing to do. and went forward with it. And God has led me through all the processes of pension and retirement and all those types of things. And I'm at that point now where I have turned my back on, and I don't plan to sub or anything else, uh, on teaching, on school teaching, on teaching physics. How sad. But... It does mean, though, that the future is in front of me. And much as I'm looking forward to retirement for lots of reasons, uh, including the new golf bag and have been able to get that wee car washed, <laughs> the, uh, there's other things. <laughs> and it's, they're not it's the other things. And it's not getting a donkey just yet. But other things that I feel God will call me to do. Part of, maybe part of this. Is, I know that this is part of it, but I don't exactly know what it means. There is an uncertainty going forward. But I do know who holds the future, who holds my future, and I know my shepherd. But I want to know him better. One of the reasons for it was to be able to have more time. Now, I know that's easy for me to say, having just retired, and maybe not so easy for you with 30 years of employment in front of you. But I do want to be able to find more time, time to study, There's such an amazing amount, I've realized, during the lay readership course. There is so much in the Bible, so much, just to to read about, to find out. So things like that, but I don't exactly know what all that will be. But as I say, I want to be able to follow more closely. When we read Psalm 23, first three verses, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It does encourage us to follow such a shepherd. What could be any better than coming, getting closer and closer to Jesus?